Every leader has problems. Increasing your leadership intensity won't fix them in a healthy way. You need an increase of clarity. From starting businesses, leading multiple nonprofit organizations, both large and small, and a full family life, Dr. Chris McAllister learned how to shift his thinking to thrive. He will help you order your internal world so you can lead your external world. Welcome to the Site Shift Lead Podcast with Chris McAllister. Welcome back. So glad you're here. If you're just jumping in, we are in a series on mistakes and mistakes everybody makes, but few learn from. Uh, if you've listened to these, you know where we're headed. If it's a new one and you're just jumping in, check it check it out. But you're going to want to go back and listen to the other ones because they set a foundation. Um, and this is another way of having the conversation about the work we do with SightShift. And so at chrismcallister.com, you can go there. We can connect by email and you can see, uh, you know, what the next step is to do some work together. So far, as we've been talking about these mistakes, uh, I've had a, I say so far, like it's going to change. It, the plan isn't that it would change. Uh, I've had uh, my good friend Brett and he is here with me hanging out as we walk through these conversations to tell me that I'm amazing and um, <laughs> I just have to keep on. <laughs> so, Brett, glad you're here, man. It's good to be along for the ride with you. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking through these mistakes, and we talked about this mistake uh, when we kicked it off that I don't live from a secure core, and so then I don't know how to use problems to grow me. And uh, we talked about mistake number two, what it means to not unknowingly be driven by fear, to mistake three, I'm not going to be internally distracted, Uh, mistake four, when you're blindly focused on the goal. All this sets up this forward progression. So we started at kind of like this inner layer, and we keep working out to more and more layers. And what we want to look at in this mistake is when we make ourselves ourselves responsible for the behavior of others. So, you know, people make this mistake all the time. They assume responsibility for the behavior of others. And the craziness of this mistake is that you can never control another human being's behavior. We're going to go deep into that, but all of these mistakes have another way of saying it, and it's a benefit you miss out on. And the benefit you miss out on, if you try to make yourself responsible for the behavior of others, which is another way of saying you're controlling, you're manipulative, even if it's passive-aggressive, you're going to miss out on attracting your most important relationships. You're not going to know how to create around you the space that people actually are drawn in to being with you. They want to hang out with you. Uh, In being with you, they feel more alive, more whole. Uh, Maybe they learn more about who they are. When you are making yourself responsible for their behavior, you're setting things up to go only a certain way, and they have to conform to what you think they should be or you're not going to be happy with the relationship. And so we want to break this down, make it real clear, so that you can learn how to stop making this mistake. Now, here's the wild thing. I'm having these kind of conversations uh, with people throughout the day, um, every day in some way, really, whether it's uh, people that we're coaching or I'm speaking or different organizations we work with. That's one thing. It's another thing when this stuff bites you in the butt at home. Um, So for me, 
I am sitting at the dinner table one night, and my wife calls out some behavior on my part. When she says something that I don't agree with, she called out a tell. Uh, you know, when you give something away, when your body language is sending a signal. Um, and what's crazy about this is like, I, I geek out on this stuff. Um, I help people recognize theirs. I try to pay attention to mine, but the plumber's house leaks and I'm sitting at the table and my wife goes, you know, when I say something that you don't fully support as you should, when it's something with the kids, you raise your eyebrows. My 12-year-old goes, and you let out your breath deeply. <laughs> and I'm like, freaking what? Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. Like, I can't get away with anything. Um, and, and I felt this thing come up within me that I wanted to defend myself. I wanted to talk about all of the reasons why I raised my eyebrows and I wanted to explain it away. I wanted to lie. I wanted to deceive. Uh, or I wanted to defend why I should raise my eyebrows. All the reasons why there needed to be a public dissent so that there could be freedom of speech, so that there could be a way that we could help our children understand that they can fight the power and take the man down. <laughs> um, thankfully, there was something that was whispering every, ever so slightly that I needed to listen to, and it was this. Just say you're wrong, Chris. Just be wrong. And I sat there, and I'm like, you know what? And I just come through an episode with somebody that I care about where they couldn't admit they were wrong uh, because they're insecure core. Go back to mistake one. Um and, and I sat there and I'm like, okay, just be wrong. And so that's what I did in that moment. I got to just admit it. I'm not going to pretend. I'm going to be vulnerable. I mean, that's the reality that whether you're in corporate leadership, whether you're starting up a company, whether you are trying to take the team to take the next big hill uh, athletically, you want to get to the championship, uh, you want to be a present and engaging parent, Pretending trains energy. Vulnerability gives energy. And so if we aren't in a space where we're being vulnerable, we're pushing people away. Over and over what we're seeing in relationships is the very thing that we do to ourselves. We can't be whole. We can't be in the space where we're just accepted for who we are. We can't accept others for who, the, who they are. So we've talked a lot about what it means to accept yourself for who you are. Now we're talking about what it means to accept others for who they are. When you're secure in your identity, you learn that chaos and vulnerability help you grow. Um, suffering reveals the center of who you are, and you learn your growth points. And things can and do turn bad in instant, in an instant, in moments. And so we, will, we have to learn to stay vigilant at all times with who we are. However, we cannot stay vigilant in a way that we're trying to control others' responses. And so we come to this space that we can just say, I don't know. I don't know what to do next. I'm not sure exactly how to proceed, 
but I know I'm going to check the pulse before completing the task. That's a way that I say that to help me because when I'm coming home, one of the things that I want to make sure of when I'm engaging into the team meeting, when I'm stepping into, uh, you know, the coaching relationship, the speaking engagement, I'm not focused on what the task that's in front of me that needs to be completed. Uh, that's my natural instinct. I can walk in the house and be like, okay, that's there, that's there, that's there. Here's how the night's going to go. Toys are here, you know, when they were younger and clothes are here, whatever. No, I'm going to see how things are going. I'm going to check in relationally. Um, and I'm going to be present. Now, part of being present you know, is covered in these other mistakes. But what it means to be present with people is I watch them. I watch their body language. Sometimes I need to match that body language to help them feel comfortable. Sometimes I need to match their language. Are they talking about seeing and they need me to see something? Then I'm not going to say, I feel you. I want to say, I see you. I'm with you in this. But I'm going to recognize when I'm turning it on and not being authentic. Uh, this is the probably the biggest misnomer that people have about what it means to uh, attract important relationships to us is that there's nothing wrong with the persona we use from time to time. Uh, there's a time to be very sensitive and present. There's a time to issue the warning. There's a time to be the sacrificial leader. You know, in any of the arenas of our lives, the relationships that we value, the relationships we have at work, uh, the relationships we value at work. Sadly, not everybody values their relationships at work. Um, everybody that's around us, we need to know that there's nothing wrong with using a persona. There's a time to move in and out of these different ways of being, relationally speaking. Awareness lets us know when we employ it. So without awareness, I serve the image of what I'm trying to project. Uh, I become fused to a mask that now defines who I am. And so then I'm pretending. And the reason a lot of people can't get to the nuanced approach of this is they've never come to the place that they've been able to really deconstruct what it means to live in the tension or the cognitive dissonance of this is who I am, but this is who I need to be in this moment. So who Chris is, uh, I always either want to work hard or play hard. So anything that's in the middle of that, I don't want to mess with. Um, I don't want to mess with uh, a ton of things that are this middle space of life where uh, I need to get a text from Brett. No, I'm just kidding. Your phone buzzed, so it popped in my head. Uh, I don't need to. Uh, I don't need to be in a space where, you know, I'm doing things to to maintain home or maintain different stuff. I just need to work hard and play hard. Uh, that's who Chris is. That's my persona. Well, I can use, or that's my that's my authentic self. I can use that, and then deconstruct. Um, or tear down the relationships around me because I'm not willing to move in and out of different roles. However, people that master this ability um, and forget who they are get blocked up and lose themselves in moving in and out of these roles. Now, I want to check in with you so far before we go too much further. Uh, making sense, Brett? Questions or thoughts? Yeah, I want to ask you about these personas because um, sometimes that bothers me because I, 
it feels fake. Um, and I know one thing I hate is when I feel like I'm being worked over by a leader. Yeah. Like, and it can be even really a positive thing. Like I feel someone really encouraging me, but it feels so fake, like over the top, just lathered on. And I'm like, okay, I feel like he's trying to encourage me. It doesn't feel genuine. He's probably putting up a persona right now based on what he senses that I need. But, um, yeah, I just, uh, how do you do this persona without it feeling fake? Yeah. Well, life dehumanizes us, makes us less human. So we have to rehumanize ourselves. And the way that we do that is by being vulnerable. Vulnerability gives energy, pretending drains energy. And so if we go ahead and jump right into the action that we're going to ask people to take as a result of this mistake, it's that you call out your fear. Uh, that in vulnerable leadership, you're you're leading the way by how you process and respond to the events that are happening to you. So let's talk about how your character is shaped. Your character is shaped by how you process and respond what's happening to you. Um, and people watch how you um, process the hardship and respond to it. And if you are a hype artist and there's a lot of BS and you're faking your way through it, people know that. And so, uh, <clears throat> I mean, this is like a long and winding answer to that question. And I'm going to go down this long and winding path intentionally. Uh, performance addicted people live outside of themselves watching their performance with harsh judgments. So the solution to fix that and to become congruent, to learn who you are and live grounded in your body, aware of your emotions, and then authentic in your relationships, because that's what we're talking about with this one, being authentic in relationships, um, you're going to be aware of that fear and pain, which is the other mistakes are covering that, and then you're going to notice the need to get your security and your you know these are these other mistakes that are covering that but the way that it becomes concrete for you is when you share with yourself and others who are safe what you feel afraid of now, let me explain your brain never stops forming in response to the experiences around you okay so experiences shape your brain thus they shape you uh, you've been made who you are with certain triggers by a thousand small things that have happened in your life to reinforce who you are or to diminish who you are and big events that happened hopefully less frequently that diminished who you are. And hopefully you've had some big events that have made you who you are, things that were spoken in, spoken into you. And, uh, you know, if I use different examples to just illustrate this, but if when you walk into the office, um, if your boss runs up to you and they're like, I'm so glad you're here and, you know, going over the top on delight, almost awkwardly so. And then everybody comes out with cake and ice cream and they're like, no hype, no BS. We're just like freaking so thankful for you and we want you to know it. It feels amazing. You know, it's a little off putting at first because you're like, what? Likewise, if the opposite happened, you come in and they're like, I can't believe you're here. What are you doing showing up? And you're like, what do you mean I work here? And so your brain, you won't even be able to help it. After you get this intense experience of delight, you're going to walk in and be like, sweet, I get to go here. After you have this experience of disgust, uh, the dread that is going to be on you if you even show up. And it'll take 10 more times of showing up with nothing happening 
to even relax a little bit as you walk in the door. Um, so your brain's constantly being shaped by this. You've got to pay attention to the framework you use to engage the experiences that have happened to you. Um, and so the more that you get aware of that, you understand everything the first four mistakes were about. Your thalamus is processing everything through identity. And so you've got to be aware because bad reactions are built on false threats. If you don't reframe every moment of your life, you'll experience work and relationships from fear, shame, and insecurity, right? You're being formed into a worse version of yourself. Now, most aren't aware of how their brain is constantly reaching back for patterns, that the past experiences of pain are shaping their present response. So they're going to act uh, or they're going to relate out of insecurity and push people away. They're either going to try to power up and get their way and make themselves responsible for the behavior of others or passively withdraw and disengage. If you want power over your present response, you need a powerful experience that helps you learn security. You learn who you are because your identity is always being shaped. Who you are is shaped by how you process and respond to what's happening. So you want a better response? Learn to harness the flow of your brain so you can calm down and feel secure. Different ways to do that, right? Meditating, harnessing the power of your imagination, whatever it is, it's the pathway to feeling secure. Once you're at that place where hardships revealed the center of your identity, you know you're not defined by what you do or the quality of your relationships, you've learned who you are, and this is why self-help exhausts, because you can't force yourself into a new baseline. Um... You can start to learn who you are. The bravado dies away and you recover on the run as you interact with others and lead. You don't have to quit leading others to figure out all this. You don't have to live outside of yourself watching your performance with harsh judgments. You get to be in this moment, present to yourself and relate out of security. Does relating out of security mean that you always have it together? No. It means you're not afraid to say, I don't know. I need help. I was wrong. I lied. I got afraid. It's me sitting at the kitchen table. Just be wrong, Chris. You did mess up. <laughs> you get, you've gotten called out for your tell. Um, it's normal to have internally some scorning speech, self-talk that's tearing you down. Growth is becoming aware of it and allowing transformation to occur. It's normal to have scared feelings. It's normal to feel like there's a disapproving face looking over you because face is presence and it means shame. You're already imagining different things like this and it's reflected in how you treat others. If I want to learn how you talk to yourself, I'm going to look at how you talk to others. So <clears throat> what happens when we're truly changed, when we relax internally, how we talk to others changes. It becomes different. And so then our speech is authentic. Hey, I'm telling you this because I want you to take this next step. And I'm not going to hype you or BS you or try to manipulate you, manipulate you into it. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to inspire you. I'm going to activate emotions. I'm going to help you feel something because I want you to move in this direction. But at the end of the day, 
I'm not responsible for your behavior. Um, I know that was a long winding answer, but do you see how I came back around to your question? Yeah, I do. I do. I want to ask you about um, just not being responsible for another person's behavior because as a leader, I have people working under me and then people that I supervise and to some degree, I do feel responsible for their development and their growth. Um, I'm a super ambitious person. So if the people under me aren't as ambitious um, and they're not growing at a rate, um, you know, that I would, that I'm aspiring to, um, I feel like I'm losing as a leader. You know, but you're telling me I'm not responsible for the behavior. But, you know, as a leader, and I do feel responsible for their development, growth, and, and yeah, their, um, their production. Yeah. All I can be responsible for is to keep the environment safe so that you're empowered and make sure that there are systems in place to facilitate that empower- empowerment and that I am present and engaged in those systems and in the process of your empowerment. If you are not taking the food that is there and if you're not learning how to cook your own dishes in the kitchen, you're not going to stay on the team because you don't want to get to the edge of your abilities and be the best version of yourself and grow at the level um, that, that represents your potential. There are plenty of other spaces in life where... You can be mediocre, but this isn't one of them. The second dynamic to that is how patient do I need to be with you? There's nobody you're connected to that thinks, I wish they'd be less patient with me. Um, Patience feels amazing. What's different about this is I can be patient with you as a person, but I'm not going to um, stay patient with your performance if... I've given you opportunities and there hasn't been a change. So I'm going to look for, okay, I gave you these moments to change. They weren't there. I'm not responsible for your behavior. The pattern is continuing, so I'm going to let go. And our relationship changes. Things are different now. Uh, Now, these are oftentimes, you know, we're talking about work relationships. Sometimes our most important commitments relationally, like family life, It's totally different, which we're going to talk more about that in the next mistake. But for now, we're just saying that when we're not responsible for others' behavior, we'll actually attract our most important relationship because they want to be around that kind of person. People are attracted to that security. And and like I said, we're going to break this down more later. But for now, we're learning who they are and how to move in and out of the different roles that we need to move out of so that we can be there with them while we call out our fear. Um, Not losing ourself in moving in and out of the roles so that the mask becomes fused to us is essential. How do we do that? When we rehumanize by saying, this is where I messed up. This is where I was afraid. If we're leading at the edge of our abilities with boldness and passion and vision, we're going to get some things right. We're going to appear almost mystical as a leader. 
And it's not that we know so much more or have insight that other people don't. We just see things developing. Uh, time slows down for us. We're going to get that benefit from momentum. Momentum makes us look better than who we are. Our responsibility is to consistently deconstruct that pedestal and release uh, this false reality that says we can control what others think of us. We can't control what others think of us. And if we attempt to control that, that's because we're insecure and we're going to manipulate. We're going to let that go. We're going to understand we can't control what others think of us. We're going to live out of our authentic self. We're going to move in and out of roles as we need to. But we're also going to be actively deconstructing that pedestal that we're put on by saying, this is where I was afraid and this is what I did out of that fear. This is how I screwed up. Now, you can't do that with everybody. Not everybody has a safe place where you could say, and we're going to define safe this way. They are, um, they are people that can hear anything from you, um, relatively speaking, gross, illegal behavior, you know, it's, but hear anything from you and still be with you in your growth and development. Um, they're not celebrating brokenness or jacked up choices you would make, but they're with you. And so that's a safe person. Find a safe person, call out your fear, okay? So you don't always have to do that with the team, although moments where you express that vulnerability are just so powerful. Uh, Call out that fear and watch your baseline change as your worst fears more often than not are not realized. I thought if you knew knew this about me, you'd never want to hang out with me again. And I'm going to tell you, and here it is. Now that's at its deepest level. Yeah, that's uh, that's scary ground um, you're asking us to walk into. I'm just thinking about sitting in front of the team and telling them, "Hey, I messed up, or I was wrong, or um, you suggested this way, I went this way, and I was wrong. You were right." Um, it really feels like you're putting your credibility on the line. Um, it's just scary scary ground to walk into. Yeah. And if you're not putting your credibility on the line, you're not winning people over and you're not, uh, engaging them and you're not developing them. They're not seeing how you handle it. Um, if you're staying around those places that are the safest of safe bets relationally, um, you become a robot and people are interacting with, a plastic version of who you are. And so I think about it along the terms of, or along the lines of three circles. There's a larger public circle, there's an intermediate circle, and there's a very small tight circle. Uh, The very small tight circle, I can express those fears with. And it's the deep fears. And here it is. And this is what I'm afraid of. And this is what I struggle with. And I'm going to call that out with you. Because I need, because my, you know, I'm shaped by experiences. I need to know that this isn't going to take me out and take me down. I'm going to move another circle out to that intermediate group, and I'm going to even give, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to give vulnerability there. It's going to look a little bit different. So, like Brett, with you as an example, I might share something with you, like, 
hardcore, oh my gosh, if, if people knew this or this is what I'm afraid of and it's super deep and intense, intermediate circle, like maybe the email that I send out, I may share the whack stories like when I had $2.57 in the bank account and I didn't know where money was going to come from in a startup phase that I was in. Um, and it's like, what's it matter if I spend $1.99 on the Walking Dead episode? <laughs> it doesn't. And I'm going to watch that. And, um, and there's a whole story around that, and there's a bigger point to make in that moment. But I would maybe share that story with the intermediate circle. Uh, I wouldn't just post that on Twitter, most likely, without some context, because there'd be a, just, A, the context makes the story make sense, B, uh there would be no way for people to understand what I'm really saying. And they'd be like, what? This guy's freaking crazy financially and has nothing else good to say. Um, So I'm going to be aware and smart of how I do that. But there are still times to take it straight to that gut level with that outer third circle. Um, And it just depends on what's happening in the moment. Depends on where you are. Maybe there's that confession that needs to happen to deconstruct this fear that you have, that if they know who I am, they won't accept me. Um, And this goes back to those other mistakes. When they know who you are, and when you know who you are, and there's alignment between those two things, you can move in and out of the roles that you need to, but you don't have to let those roles define you. You get to be who you are. Um, And we're going to talk more about in the next mistake about what it means to to give to others what they need. But for now, we're just introducing this idea that we're not giving them what they need to get a certain response. We're just trying to help move things forward and, and serve the overall mission. But we can't lose who we are in it. We can't control what others think of us. Everybody has a freak flag to fly. Everybody has things about them that's weird. And if they're truly living out of who they are and it's an overflow into their relationships, fly it. Know you're flying it. Know that it could be weird for people to hear about. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with zero drop shoes. And uh, I know I'm weird with how I think about footwear. And it's not mainstream. And it's not even the most fashionably looking thing uh, or, or fashionable Um But I enjoy it. I've seen the health benefits to my life. I've seen how it's impacted and changed me. And all I need to do is somebody to ask one question. Then I have to be careful and be like, shut up, Chris. Don't talk for five hours about zero drop footwear. (laughs) But that's a part of my weirdness, and I'm okay with it. But I know it's there, and I'm not going to unintentionally push people away. Um, When I'm secure in who I am, I'm not responsible for their behavior. I can be who I am. And then I'm going to call out my fear and understand that as this relationship moves forward or as it moves forward with this group of people, um, I'm giving up controlling what they, what they think of me. Does that answer that? I know that was yeah. a longer one. Yeah, no. Um, I'm tracking with you. That, that calling out your, your uniqueness or what makes you weird is uh, – seems to also be like a good strategy to deconstruct the pedestal that others might put you on. Like I'm not, 
I'm not this perfectly cool guy. Look, I like these weird shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a. I, I remember just um, a season in my life getting really um, attached to to public figures or public speakers and their their thoughts or ideas, and then thinking, man, this person's got it all figured out. But then you learn more about them and realize, oh, they're just human like me um, trying to understand and, and make sense of it along the way. Um, yeah. The more somebody – go ahead. Sorry. No, that's it. That's it. Well, see, the more somebody is projecting something that I have it all together, uh, the less they do. And live long enough and all your pedestals will have to be deconstructed because nobody can live up to that. Um and, uh, you know, so what we do is we compare and we distract ourselves from who we are. Because look at how they handled that. You know, we look at the pedestals that they're on and shame blocks this up like crazy. I remember, um, so I hadn't gone to the dentist for a little bit. And then, you know, you're starting out working and building things up and getting dental insurance. This was like my early 20s. And I'd gone to the dentist, and we had dental insurance, and um, the dentist was like, you know, did you have braces? And I was like, yeah. And then I heard him say something to the dental hygienist. I can't remember what it was exactly, but it was along the lines of, can you believe this guy had braces? Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, all of a sudden, now self-conscious about a, my smile. And, and, and before, I wasn't even aware of it. Right? It's the four stages of learning. I was unconsciously incompetent regarding my smile. Uh, and, and the four stages of learning, now I see it, right? And so for a lot of people, what we're doing through these mistakes is helping them see something that has been there, but they didn't know it was there. And so they're going to become consciously competent and go, oh, this has to change. And then we want to become consciously competent right? And all these mistakes are wording for how to do that. And then we want to become unconsciously competent. It becomes the pattern and behavior of who we are. And that's what all the practices of this book are about, how to form that so it becomes a part of who we are. Calling out your fear is a part of how you form that because you learn, I can talk about my fears and I'm going to attract my most important relationships. They're not repelled by that. Um, as long as you're not doing something that Brene Brown calls spotlighting, where you're, you're sharing with a ton of intensity those fears and you're testing people's commitment to you, you're going to push people away. Uh, so I use a filter. I mean, you know, we all feel, feel moments of fear every day, especially if we're putting ourselves out there and going after big things. Um, and when we're in leadership roles, we're doing stuff to put ourselves out there every day. We could text or reach out to the close inner circle constantly. I feel afraid of this. I feel afraid of this. I feel afraid of this. So I kind of use, you know, my own internal checklist, if you will. Not that it's that precise of going, okay, is this a moment that I need to walk through or is this a moment I really need some help? If I feel a lot of despair, that's going to be a moment I'm going to ask for some help. And I want to reach out because I need that reminder. If we do not know who we are and we define ourselves by something external, our performance and our mission, or what we're talking about here with this mistake, um, relationships and how we're received, then we're going to be distracted from living out of who we really are. I mean, the essence of distraction is to define who you are by something in your 
work or your relationships. And it's the success of others and how they win that allows us to play this comparison game to the point that we're defeated and exhausted. Um, And we look at our circumstances and we shame ourselves. And we either say, yeah, I have it this way because I suck, I don't measure up. Or when it starts going good, shame says, you don't deserve it to be this good. Um, You know, you know, maybe we're doing work that we love and makes us feel alive. And at every level with sight shift, I've had that, like when it grows to a new level, I'm like, I don't deserve this. Well, what's the narrative there? Like, so I'm, something's wrong. I don't deserve it. But if I work hard enough, I can feel like I can. My, my work should be something that's miserable. My relationship should be tolerable. You know, shame would tell us that. But when we know abundance, when we know who we are and we rest in the security of that, Sure, there are lots of people that don't love what they do, but I'm going to go after being one. And it's not necessarily that, you know, I deserve this and it's my right, but I pick myself. And in the course of human history, a lot of people have, pre-industrialization, have been able to do work that they love with people they love. Um, So it's not like it's that far-fetched of a thing. And I can have relationships that are great. I may have things to persevere through in those relationships or seasons that I've got to um, really invest a lot. But for now, I don't have to let shame tell me that out of comparison or out of circumstances that are tough and gross, you know, relationally, um, that this is the way it has to be. That shame can get silenced. And this goes back to these, you know, earlier mistakes. But the way that you know you're not living out of a secure core is when you try to be accepted by others. You're trying to work your way uh, into that party. And that's the big one we're going to make clear in the next mistake. But the pathway to doing that is when you make people responsible Um, when you make yourself responsible for their behavior and you're saying, I need you to respond a certain way or I can't feel whole. Jacked up, that's what jacked up leadership does. Jacked up parenting does that. Um, And then we, we create environments that people have to escape from. There's a lot we could say about creating a healthy environment. But the shortcut hack to doing it that will rewire your brain and rehumanize you where life has dehumanized you. It's a starting point. It's to call out your fear. So I want to go through some examples of that. You tracking so far? Any thoughts or questions? No, this is good. I'm tracking with you. Um, so if I'm going to, you know, let's, let's talk about what this looks like in, in different arenas. So the four arenas we've kind of been talking through in these mistakes so far, uh, the startup CEO founder. They're going after it. They're putting themselves out there. That The worst thing that they could do is make it look like they have it all together. And everybody knows that they don't. They can have wild-eyed, wild-eyed confidence. They can have like this mad scientist-like uh, vision that may or may not happen. But they can't approach it with a sense of um, certainty that says, I know for certain this is how it'll go. Uh, when, you're, when you're certain in who you are, you can be clear in what you do. When you're uncertain in who you are, then you falsely try to express certainty in what you do. 
And nobody has that. You can't guarantee it. It's not for certain. Uh, so it's just calling it out, going, I'm going after this with all I got. And, you know, let's, let's stare each other in the eye. Let's talk about size shift. You know, eyeball to eyeball with you, Brett. There is no guarantee of what will happen in the future with sight shift lead, that what we're doing will continue at the growth it's going at now. There's no guarantee sight shift champion will become what we dream it to be. But let's shut the door and let's work at it like the world doesn't know that and, and, and go all in. Um, and when we have moments where we want to shut down out of fear, let's admit it. If we have moments where we need to make something right with a group of people, let's admit it. Um, if we fail to deliver at the level that we want to on something, let's admit it. Let's call it out. Let's call it out in relationship to our fear. And that's what makes it deep and powerful. So it's not just saying, um, you know, we wanted to deliver at this level and then we found that we got into it and we couldn't actually execute that. We were afraid of um, letting you down on this, so we wanted to cut it off at the pass and let you know now this is what happened. Um, we called out that fear. We call it out when we can, as quick as we can. Now, there are parts of this where you're faking it till you make it, and I get that. So there's a nuance here. Again, if it were black and white, then we wouldn't need the growth that comes from living in the tension of two realities, being honest about where we are and faking it. I mean, I've booked some big stuff as things have moved forward, and it's like, you know, when you have done these things in the past, what does it look like when you do this? And I'll answer the question like I've done those things. So there's a tension here. Is this, is this clear, or do I need to make it clearer? I hope I haven't. No, this, yeah, this is clear. This okay. is clear. So, uh, so that's like startup CEO's, uh, CEO founder space. Let's talk about like the professional space, um, you know, doctors and attorneys, because there's a lot of positioning there. I mean, the doctor doesn't need to be like, I'm pretty sure this is going to work, but you know, the studies have shown it's kind of a crapshoot. I'm afraid, blah, blah, blah. They need to be honest. Uh, same thing mm. with, you know, any of the professional spaces are different. But here's the thing. If they don't have a group or a space that they can talk about what they're afraid of, working their life away, trading dollars for hours, um, you know, because uh, I've talked to people in both of those professions extensively to know that it is a reality that those fears, um, you know, are tough to walk through then they're going to be faking it. Uh, I heard about one professional who had a, a significant failure in his life, and um, the son was interviewed about it because it was on a public scale, and he goes, I was just excited to find out. You know, he said, I'm glad, I was glad to find out my dad didn't have it all together. And so, so many times in those professions, wow. there's an air of that, and finding ways to deconstruct that, call out the fear, right? It doesn't have to be huge in front of the client, can just be simple ways you relax them. Uh, for for the athlete, right? I mean, what a what a pressure moment when a game builds up to this, 
your life is defined your whole week by what happens in the next hour or four hours or three hours, depending on what it is. Um, what's it mean for you to admit all I can do is be here now and give everything I have to this? Uh, what if the team can feel the fear on the edge of their tongue and you actually give voice to it and say, hey, guys, I know you're afraid of what happens if we lose this game. I am too. Let's admit it. And now let's shut it out of our mind and go after it all in. Um, kind of like the example I was given with you and me in Sight Shift. Uh, yeah. What's it look like for the person in corporate America? There's lots of layers. I can't call out my fear, right? I have to continually position and posit uh, or, you know, get myself in a space where I'm getting the credit for things that happen and I'm distancing myself from the things that go bad. I mean, yes, politics rage in corporate America. Can you be this vulnerable in every space? No way. Do not hear us say that. But you need a place where you can do it. And if you want to win people over to your side, when you're moving forward, when they hear you say, I don't know, they'll start rooting for you. When you always have the answer, because you don't always say, I don't know. If you always have the answer, they're going to start rooting against you. It's just simple. So you got to figure that out. There's a finesse. But it comes back to calling out your fear. Um, any thoughts or questions you would have? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just still wrestling with like, this is a, this is a really challenging exercise to get yourself to step into. Um, I'm just thinking, uh, just throwing a case study out here, you know, just watching the NBA playoffs. Um, and, uh, and of course, you know, it's hard to dissect this cause we don't know all the details, but a coach, from one of the playoff teams gets gets just criticized so heavily in the newspapers and the talk shows and et cetera, et cetera, on some mistakes he made and decisions he made from game to game. If he would come out and say, I messed up, I was wrong. Like, I'm just trying to imagine the response that he would get from that. Like if people would start calling for his head and, you know, they already want him fired, but like that's that man that's just scary ground to step into um to to admit that kind of stuff and not try to protect yourself in those situations and that's the complexity of the finesse of when's the time to be smart and protect yourself most overprotect and overpretend and never have that vulnerability until they break down because of the pressure that's on them. Um, that is what has to be course corrected. How does that happen? When you stop making yourself responsible for the behavior of others and trying to control how they respond. And when you stop trying to control how people respond and you bring you, who you are, where you are with what's happening, um, you are giving up some of the security of those results. But long-term, you're achieving a more stable result. Um, that uh, brings us to a close. So glad you guys have been here for the podcast. Brett, so glad you've been along and uh, looking forward to chatting about these other two mistakes with you. Thanks for being everybody. Thanks for being here, everybody. Peace.
This has been The Sight Shift, the lead podcast with Chris McAllister. Thank you for listening.